We are jumping into the book of Job. We started kind of in the middle of this week, and man, Job is just one of those books that, um, and it's a lot of fun to read, isn't it? It's a lot of fun to read, a lot of practical application. We feel so good, so refreshed uh, when we read the book of Job. Um, I want to do something weird. I want to start at the end, so if you would, turn to Job 42, just real fast, one verse, and then we're going to jump back to Job 1, because I think one of the important things we can do, and I love doing this thing of like dissecting Scripture, and sometimes you look at Scripture, you, you may need to read it backwards, and I don't mean like the words backwards, but I mean like start in the back and kind of read toward the front, and you kind of see how things work out, and it may give you some hope, but it also gives you another perspective on the word itself. And if you will look in Job 42, and I, I thought this was fun. It's one of those God whisper things that happened while Richard was praying at the end. Because he said, open our ears and our eyes. Did you guys remember that? Did you catch on to that when he prayed? Job 42, verse 5. This is what Job says to, to the Lord. He says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. After all the suffering, after all the questions, after all the frustration, after everything that Job went through, he responds to God with, I've heard about you. I've heard you with my ears. But after everything that I've gone through, now I see you. And I think today what I really want us to focus on is the lens of which we do see God. Yes, there is the suffering in Job. Yes, there is the questioning and all the things that happen after chapter 1. But in chapter 1 is something very, very important that I really don't want us to miss in this great big story of God and in this small story of Job is what God said about Job and what God says about you and what is true about you. And not with the distractions that Satan will enter in. So that's kind of the foundation of what we're going to set on today as we begin. Let's look in Job 1, and we're going to actually read this entire text. Um, I love to read. I, I did drama in high school. I've done radio broadcast for football. I read to my kids when they were younger. And I love like the, the inflections and all the different tones that go along in Scripture. And sometimes I think we may miss that when we read. Because either we hear God's voice as a thundering boom, or it's angry. Or maybe for some of us in the room, it sounds a little bit like Paul Harvey. The rest of the story. You know, it kind of goes along like that. Or if you're a fan of Adrian Rogers and used to listen to him, which I did. I grew up listening to him as a pastor. You kind of begin to go, well, the voice of God must sound like that because that is a nice, sultry voice. Or maybe you like the sound of Eli Gold and you're happy he's calling Alabama again and you, you think that's the voice of God. But there are different tones and characters and voices sound different and we have to be careful when we read them, that we read them in the way that they are written. The Bible is not boring. And when you read it with inflection and you read certain things with excitement, exclamation points are not always angry. <laughs> they can mean excitement. And sometimes the commas are necessary. So I want to read this in a way that I hope, as you read along, just try to listen. Um, as I put a little bit of emphasis into certain things. Okay, you guys ready? Buckled up? Here we go. Verse 1. In the land of us. I'm kidding. I'm not going to read like that. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> See, I just... Right now you're like, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's why the, that's, it's boring. 
try to, I'll try to do this. There we go. <laughs> In the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their home on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered, from roaming through the earth, going back and forth on it. See, Satan's angry. I can't read it like he's happy. Right? Are you guys with me on that? Like, he's just not a happy guy. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Again, what we understood in verse 1. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and all his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well. Then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the old, oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they were dead, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And at this, Job got up tore his robe, shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this testimony of your servant, Job. And Father, I pray today that we would see this application, God, that we would see truly what our response is to a holy God, which you are. Father, today may you do things that we can only share in testimony as God things. And may we, just like your servant, God, have heard about you, but now we see you clearly. Maybe today for someone in the room, God, for the first time, may they see taste, and experience the beautiful mercy and grace of salvation, Jesus, that only you give. 
And we pray this by your power and your power alone. Amen. As we talked when we first started, I said, you know, the thing I want us to understand today, one of the things is, is, that, is that how does God see you? And we look in verse 1, we see that Job himself was blameless and upright, feared God and shunned evil. That meant in his life, and all across the land, as we read at the end of it, he was well known, the greatest man among all those from the east, that Job had a great reputation for being someone who shunned evil. He was upright, blameless. He was someone that feared God. In, in, in normal terms, what would we call this? He was humble. He was humble of spirit. He knew who he was. He knew whose he was. He knew who he represented. And he knew the ways in which he should carry himself in life. And it wasn't because of the great wealth and all the things in his life that brought him. Although for some people, I'm sure they looked and said, well, I mean, we got to trust Job. I mean, look at all that he has. Look at all the, all the animals, all the wealth, all the slaves, all the things that Job has by man's standards would make him powerful, by man's standards would make him wise, by man's standards would give him great authority, but on the greatest authority of God, it wasn't any of those things. It was how he was wired because God made him, created him, knit him together in his mother's womb as well. Blameless. No one could find fault with him. Upright. This is a guy that when he talked, he meant what he said. And what he said he would do, he would do. Feared the Lord. He prayed. He responded. We'll get to, in a few moments, we'll look at what he did for his kids. He had priestly acts that he did. He was very much about God and his word and his purposes. And he shunned evil. These four things that we see in Scripture... And maybe we could lay ourselves over the top of them and go, well, where am I in this? Where am I in this? Where am I in this? And where am I in this? And when we get to that evil part, that's an extremely important part in this passage because it's not only does it say that he shunned the evil, but who do we see come searching for him later on? Is it Satan? Job existed and lived in this patriarchal period of time. And, and what we mean by that is that wealth was determined by the quality of livestock and the number of servants you had. And the patriarch of a family, the, the highest uh, male member of that family that, that, that had the wealth and had the power and had the kids and all the stuff, would be looked at as that leader. And Job went a step farther because of the patriarch, because of his power, because of the, he gave himself as the priest of his family. How many of us have teenagers, had teenagers, or you're trying to forget you had teenagers? Anybody? Yeah. You know what teenagers do? Teenagers throw parties. Anybody have a... So I, I would love to... I wish I would have done a little bit more research. In this. Has anyone ever had a teenager that threw a party and you came home and found out about it? Anybody? Yes. Thank you. Anybody? Okay. Anybody was a teenager that threw a party and your parents found out? Pastor Richard, you should be ashamed. I'm kidding. All forgiven. It's all forgiven. How about your parents didn't find out? I actually did that one time. And now after confessing that and knowing that this is broadcast on YouTube, I really hope my parents aren't watching or listening. <laughs> but they were gone on a trip one time, and I did. I threw a party. And y'all, I mean, I was the youngest of four kids, and I was super clever. You throw a party, you got to know how to clean up. You throw a party, you better know what's going to get you in trouble. If you throw a party, you better have somebody that's gone ahead of you that knows how to, that, know, that messed up, so you know not what to do. 
And so I did. I threw a party, had folks at my house and, and things. I'm not, you know, it's all forgiven. It's all forgiven. So we're not going to talk about those things, but I did throw one. And then I remember just being so panicked that somebody was going to find out. Just all worried, worried, you know. And they didn't. They didn't. My parents are so naive. They're so old when I was born. They didn't even care. That's why you get the presentation of Brandon you get now. It's because of my horrible parents' parenting. Please laugh. Because they think it's hilarious, too. They're like, oh, my. You're, God's called you to do what? <laughs> Going back to class reunions is fun as well. It's, so what do you do? I'm a banker. I'm this. I'm, I, what, do you, what do you do? I'm a pastor. <laughs> of what? You're the guy through those parties. And so anyway, yeah, all forgiven. Yeah, the, the grace. Oh, the grace. And so, yes, kids throw parties, and when they do, what do we as parents typically do? What do a lot of parents do when their kids throw parties? What do we do when our kids mess up? You know what most parents do when kids mess up? Because this has been my life for 20, almost 26 years now. Most parents just want to excuse what their kids did and sweep it under the rug or compare what their kids have done to someone else's kids and the bad that they've done. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know my kid threw a party. But I wasn't as bad as that kid's party. Remember that one over there? That's the distraction. We look for distraction. We look for ways to do it. Job did not do those things. Remember the verse when it says, perhaps my kids have sinned? Job is like the greatest dad ever. He's just like, my kid's throwing a party. Yep, they're sinning. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to offer this blood and this fire, and I'm going to pray for them to be restored unto God because I know what they're doing. He didn't excuse what they did, but he pressed into it as a good father would do. He presses in and makes sacrifice for the kids because they are kids and because they're learning. Maybe they were just spoiled babies. I don't know. He was a pretty rich guy. But he's not to the point of his, of his riches and his power and his popularity and all the things that the world looks at. He's not above making the sacrifice for his family to make sure that they are in a right standing with the Father. So parents, take note of that. Let's not excuse what our kids do. Let's not look for distractions. And let's not, let's not you know, look to someone else's failures. Let's put the blame where it belongs. Let's keep the authority where it belongs. And let's keep offering those sacrifices. What does that look like today? It looks like prayers. It looks like correction. It looks like love. It looks like grace. It looks like mercy. We can do this. And we have this example in Scripture of Job doing this exact thing. So make sacrifices for your kids. And the story seems to be going pretty well, doesn't it? We have this man. He's rich. He's powerful. He's been defined by God. I mean, what greater thing could we do? Could we just stop the chapter here? Go, Job's kids went and partied, and he, threw, he prayed and made sacrifices, and all was, all was well and happy in the land of us. No, 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 we have this adversary, this one who's against us, this one who roams the earth, searching and looking and combing and, and discovering and jumping in and doing all the things that he can do to cause massive, massive amounts of distraction, and we see him. On the day, this is verse, verse 6, on the day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan. A couple of things we recognize here is that the angels continually report to God. The angels continually report and, and see him and speak to him. And guess who also has to? Satan has to. What do we know about Satan? He was an angel. He was the chief worshiping angel in heaven. He was a man in charge of one-third of the heavenly realm, of one-third of the, of the 
of, of the jobs that were given, Satan himself had one of the most important jobs, to lead the angels in worship, to lead heaven in this orchestral presentation of worship and praise, giving to the Father, giving to God himself, giving to Yahweh. And in his tiredness of giving worship, he decides he wants to be worshipped. We also know that he is a beautiful creation, very good looking. And he himself reports back to heaven. Because God is the creator and God gives all authority. The only authority Satan has is on this earth to roam it. But anything that he does beyond that, he has to go to the Father and get permission. We learn that very quickly in this text. And so we see that he goes and he speaks. I've been all over everywhere. I'm looking. I'm, I'm just combing through. And God already knows his creation, already knows the heart of even his angels. And he says, have you considered my boy Job? You've been walking around and distracting and causing so much calamity and so much sin. Have you, have you seen this guy? And what does Satan do? Much like as parents that we talked about earlier, sometimes we, we distract Yeah, my kid threw a party. But listen, I mean, it didn't do near as much damage as, oh, well, somebody else over here. You know, old Tom, like his kids, oh my gosh, like they're they're in and out of jail every week. Well, I wouldn't want his kid. You know, we we begin to distract. Satan does the same thing. What do you mean you're serving? If you you hadn't given him everything, if you hadn't babied him, he wouldn't worship you. If you hadn't given him so much power, so much money, so much animals, so much wealth, God, you, you you know you've given him everything. He's just a little, he's just a little baby. He's always going to love you. Look what you do for him. The audacity of Satan. The audacity of him to speak to the creator that way. To think, you don't even know your own creation, God. Oh, yes, he does. Which is why he says, go ahead. Take everything away from him, but you better not kill him. Because Satan has no authority to take life. God is the creator, the giver, and the taker. No one else has that authority but him. And so he reminds him of that. Okay, buddy, you, have, you, got, your, you got your Roman on the earth. But remember, I've got it all in my hands. I created it all in the span right here. From the tip of God's thumb to his pinky finger is the span of his hand. And he created everything. And the earth is somewhere in a little dot somewhere in there. And he says, okay, you can, you can do your earth thing, and you can take the stuff from me, but you can't kill him. Satan has no authority in your life to take, your, to take it from you. He'll cause disruption. He'll cause distraction. He'll cause so many things in your life, but he will not take your life. That is not in his authority. That is not in his power. That is God and God's alone, and we see that here in this, in this passage. It's the same attack that Satan, when he presents to God, is, the same, is very likened the same one that he does in the Garden of Eden. When he looks at Eve and he goes, did God really say that you would die? No, he won't die. God's worried you'll be as powerful and you'll know everything that he does. He distracts. He lies. Remember with Jesus in the wilderness? Hey man, you're hungry. Make these things become food. You can eat. 
Look, if you'll just do this, I'll give you all for, I'll give you so much power, Jesus. He's constantly lying and distracting and trying to give us things that will never satisfy us. And he believes by not giving to Job but taking away from him will cause distraction. Job's already got everything, so if you take it away, much like if you have nothing and you listen to Satan and he, and he tries to give you everything, you think your life will be elevated. It's a constant distraction. The guy is a liar. Can we please stop believing him? As, as, as believers in Jesus, can we stop aligning ourselves with Satan and believe the glory and the riches and the power that all that Jesus wants to give us? Can we just align ourselves with the Father? Can we align ourselves with the Word? Can we align ourselves with the Son and the Spirit? And can we just believe Him and just shun evil? Because God has said, this is, this is who you are. He's defined your life. He's written who you are. And when we buy into the lies of Satan, we're, we're buying counterfeit. Ray Ortland wrote a book, and I'm, 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 it's called The Death of Pornography. It's a very small book, and it's written about these letters, and I'm not going to go into the content, content of the book or the context of the book, but he has a line in there, and he says, can we as men stop saying, well, I, I messed up today, and I, and I did this, and oh, Satan got me, and I... He said, can we just be honest and say the truth? Because the truth is this. Today, I decided I was going to align myself and believe the lies of Satan, and I went along with him, and not what God has for me. And that goes in line with the sin of our life. When we just go, I would just rather choose that. We align ourselves with Satan, and we believe him. But oh, to the one who is the creator and oh to the one who gives grace and mercy where sin increases grace increases even more we cannot out sin the grace of God but we shouldn't try to either so let's, let's stop believing what Satan brings to us let's quit believing these attacks As he is seeking to destroy us and seeking to distract us, I, I would call your attention back to Matthew 6, where Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. In those moments when we are distracted, in those moments where we are um, given falsehoods and, and, and given riches and power or things we think are being taken from us that do cause us into a, a period of sadness, a period persecution let us never lose heart that we continue to keep our eyes focused on the one who is the is the creator the one who has written your story the one who has knit you together perfectly and is the one who defines you and in this definition i want us to clearly hear this as well your 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 power your occupation your wealth your popularity your generosity and let's go, let's go the other direction. Your negativity, uh, your um, lack of energy, <laughs> your lack of desire to serve, your lack of love. No, these things don't define you. Like, like, I mean, we know we think they do. But for us that are in Christ Jesus, he is who defines us. The Bible says that Jesus has clothed us in his righteousness 
So therefore, for when we do stand before God, he's not looking down and going, well, Brandon, you're that kid as a teenager. You used to throw parties at your parents' house. I mean, what are you thinking? I mean, you're that guy that used to, you know, we, and we, I mean, y'all can fill in the blanks. I mean, but quit looking at me. Think about yourself. Um, that's not how Jesus is defining you. It's not what God's seeing. God's going, there's Brandon. Yes, I created him. And boy, he is covered by the blood of my son. He is the one whom I am well pleased. He is the one that I accept. He is the one that I love because of my son's love for him. So now he is my son as well. We have to remember that God is the one that defines us. God is the one that writes our story. God is the one that brings us everything that we need in life. And Satan will never, ever bring us good things. He will never, ever bring us good things. Guys, I want to just remind you of something. Satan always overpromise, underdelivers, and he moves on. Overpromises, underdelivers, and he moves on. Look how, look how the lack of time he spent in front of God. Where have you been? I've been running around the earth trying to get people to trip and fall over. I'm tired, God. That's too easy. Have you seen my boy Joe? No. Joe? Oh, the only reason he likes you is because all the stuff you give him. That's the only reason he cares about you. Okay, well, go we'll take it all away. You can't kill him. Take it all away. Great, gone. And he's, I mean, he just bolts out. Remember the old Bugs Bunny cartoons? They were just like, Pew! they just take off running, just gone. Satan's out of there. He can't wait to get back and just, oh, here I come, here I come, Job. And just like a, a attack, man, just gets him. One day, Job's just kind of hanging out, and he gets all these reports of everything that's gone. Did you notice anything in the rest of this chapter about Satan? Did you notice anywhere where it says, and Satan came and consoled Job, knelt down beside him and said, there, there, little guy, it's okay. God never loved you. I got you. <laughs> he didn't do that. No. Over promises, under delivers, and he's gone. Job has all this calamity, all this negativity, all this sorrow, sadness, everything is coming. It's coming his way. He gets up, tears his robe, shaves his head, and he falls to the ground in worship. I'll take us back to verse 1. Blameless, upright, feared God, shunned evil. As we get to the end of this text, we see the true heart and the true nature of Job. True heart and the true nature of Job. What we see is him losing everything. Guys, this picture is so beautiful. Even everything that wasn't taken by Satan, Job decided to sacrifice it as well. Did you see that? Let me read this to you one more time. Consider that. All his wealth, all his animals, all his family, everyone is gone. And this is his response. After four servants come, they're gone. It's a bad mistake. This is Job's response. Tore his robe off, shaved his head, and fell to the ground. Job himself, in this very short, directed sentence, says, hey, Satan, you didn't get everything. And then his response in his prayer, in his sacrifice that's given. Naked I came from my mother's womb. We have all entered the world naked. Every person in this room entered the world naked. You may not like to think that. 
As you look in the mirror in the mornings, it may not be a joyful thing to remember that. But that's how we came. And he says, and naked I will depart. Because see, Job is acknowledging, I didn't come to this earth with anything anyway, God. It's all yours. Every bit of this is already yours. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job himself right now is a living testimony to everything that I hope and aspire to be ever in my life. And I would probably stand before, I would guarantee I'll stand before you now and say I fail miserably at this. Because there's still so many times in my own life when I try to judge myself based on what do I have, what do I not have, what do I want, what can I get, and what does somebody else have. I feel that I'm not alone in the room. I feel that in the room like this, with this many people, believers gathered together, continuing to say, God, is there more? There's got to be more. God, search me. Search me, God. Purify me. That we, there's probably more of us in the room that feel very similar to me. And I, I mean, I don't know that I hope you do. I, I honestly hope I'm alone. And that the rest of it could teach me. But I would probably wager, if I were a betting guy, but I don't have enough money to bet, that I'm probably not alone. And in all of life, and all that we think that we have, and when things are taken away, Job's response was, here's some more. He's a sacrificial guy. As I was studying the text, I ran across, I ran across, I thought about this passage in James. Where James himself says in James 1, 2 through 12, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then James goes on to continue to, to read and continue to list things. And if you lack this, ask this. If you don't have this, ask for this. Link. And God is a generous God. He'll give to you when you ask. Like He's, just, he's imploring with the, with the readers. Uh, I, I study in this passage a little bit deeper, this imagery of trials of many kinds, is really a connection back to the Old Testament. And the coat that had many colors in it, do we remember that? I remember reading this story and hearing this story be taught. Joseph and this great coat that his daddy gave him and his brothers hated him because of it. Because he was a little baby of that family, right? He was all spoiled, little baby, got a real pretty coat. And I remember for me thinking that this coat was kind of like stripes. Like red, green, blue, purple, whatever. All these stripes. And when you study this text and you realize it really wasn't that, it was more about these different colors of fabric that were woven together and, and brought in together. And what James is doing is giving us an illustration of these fabrics coming together and being knitted. And saying, oh, it's, it's, it's not just these, these stripes. It's not these big, bold things. It's these little, bitty things that are placed together. And when we understand that context and that part of the story, it takes things a little bit different, a little bit different pathway for us. And we begin to see that it is the little things in life. It is the little parts of life that God himself is weaving together. And again, if we fast forward ourselves into Job 42, 
And remember, sometimes you got to start at the beginning to, to go back to the front to understand. And Job says, hey, I, I've heard of you, but now I see you. Not only were his ears open to hear from God, but his, his eyes were open to who God truly, truly is. And then we go on to read that God not only restored what he had, but he gave back even more. Yeah, Job's a difficult book to jump into, but it has so many great applications. I challenge you, I encourage you to continue with your reading of Scripture. Continue digging in to even more that is there and look for the revelation that maybe you haven't seen before. Is it a book of suffering? Absolutely. But you know what it is a better book of? Mercy, grace, love. And that sometimes there's good advice, but it doesn't mean it's godly advice. Keep reading, you'll get to that part too. Church, today our invitation is this. It's very, very simple. I know that every one of us today have walked in with the ears that have heard about God. My prayer, as Richard said earlier, my prayer for us today is the same, is that now your eyes have been opened. Perhaps there's a person in the room today that maybe your heart is beginning to open as well. And it's opening to this beautiful thing of salvation which Jesus is calling you into. He is calling you to say, hey, I love you and I know there's so much you don't understand. And I, don't, I know you don't understand why the Father allowed this, this angel that's been cast out of heaven to go and do this stuff to this man. I know you don't understand that, but if you'll say yes to me, I'll teach you. And I know you don't know what it means to say yes to me. But if you will say yes to me, I promise you, I will teach you. Because the invitation of Jesus is not, it's Jesus never said, hey, follow me and good luck. The invitation of Jesus is follow me and I will. And he will. So you may be sitting here with lots of questions and confusion and, and doubts. Man, from a former person who was dead and was brought to life by Jesus, I've had my doubts and I've had my fears and I've had a lot of questions. But remember, Job had questions too. The Bible doesn't say that Job tore his clothes, fell down, made this prayer, <clears throat> and he just moaned about it, and he sinned because he was angry. He says, no, no, in all of what he did, all of his questions, he didn't sin against God. So Jesus says this, bring your questions. Bring your questions to me. Bring your frustrations to me. Read in Job. Job didn't just sit around and go, well, this is, this is what's been cast to me, and I must sit here and suffer. Why, God, why are you not talking to me? Why are you not listening? Why did you do this? We can ask. We can ask him. And so our invitation is very simple. If you, if you have not experienced the love, the grace, the beautiful salvation of Jesus, please don't wait another moment. I would love to talk to you about that. So many people in this body would love to talk to you. And if you're nervous, grab your friend. I just want somebody to go with me. And let's talk. Maybe today you are someone who says, I've been suffering, man. I've been, I've been suffering because I continually say yes to Satan. And I just don't want to do this anymore. I want to stop agreeing with Satan. Let's pray. Let's hold each other accountable. to what's, And when Scripture says when we do this, we confess our sins to one another, he is what? Faithful. To cleanse us. To forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We're going to have to believe what the Word says. And we're going to have to respond to a holy God because he calls us to respond. Church, let's stand together. And let's pray. Let's pray with expectation this morning. 
Let's pray with expectation that there is a soul in the room that right now needs salvation. Would you pray that with me? Lord, we come to you now, God. We confess solely, Father, that you are creator. You are the Lord. You are supreme. God, you are everything. But Lord, we thank you so much today for your word, for your servant. God, for how he responded to you. And Father, right now, we ask that your spirit move in this place, God, that you search every heart, every soul. Father, if there be one or or others who need your salvation today, they would lay pride, they would lay possession, power, everything to the side and respond to the life-giving truth of salvation. And Jesus, for those of us that are just caught in continual sin, may we come to prayer, may we come to repentance, may we come to restoration with you. And God, may we do it the way your word tells us to do in community with one another so that we can love, that we can help restore, that God, we can help lead those that have fallen into temptation. We love you so much, Jesus. We praise you above all things. And we ask it to be done in your name alone. Amen. Amen.